0: And we're back. This is part two of Raccoon City Inferno, a Resident Evil 2 remake survival log presented by Gunblade Guys and the Hero with the Thousand Potions podcast. If you haven't heard part one, go back and start there. But if you have heard part one, or if narrative continuity is unimportant to you, welcome. Now that I have a minute to breathe, I'm wondering, what did that map guy know about the room G was in? Or not know about the room G was in? Like, when he drew that big black question mark over this room, what was that supposed to mean? Like, he drew the map, he drew every important part of the map, up to and including the statues as codes, but he had no idea what was in the great big empty room? Surely he couldn't have known that the big ugly eyeball monster man was in there, right? I mean, if he did, he wouldn't just draw a question mark. Did he not know what was in the room? Or what this machinery was for? I don't get it. Okay, what the hell else is in this room? Nothing? Good. Let's get the hell out of- Wait! Wait! A locker! Hip pouch! I earned this one! 14 slots! Delicious! Delicious! I'm up a ladder, and I peek my head out from under a manhole. This looks like the parking garage to me. There is an idling squad car on the other side of a metal gate that separates the garage from the outside, and the car has its lights pointed right at me. I do a sweep of the area. Couple doors to uncertain doom, but nothing fun. I check the console that opens the gate. Leon mutters he needs a keycard while an undead Doberman sneaks up behind me. It tackles me to the ground, and my handgun clatters out of arm's reach. Leon's holding it back by its neck, and its bloody maw snaps not an inch from his nose. A loud blast rings out, and the dog is thrown to the ground to the side. Leon looks up, and it's the figure of a woman, but her silhouette doesn't match that of Claire's. She points out the dog is getting up again, and Leon snap grabs the handgun and blows its brains out, and what's left of the dog's head smacks back to the concrete with a wet slap. The woman is wearing a khaki trench coat, black gloves, and spectacular bitch boss lady shades. Straight, chin-length black hair frames a youthful face that looks down at me impatiently. With her handgun pointed at me, she draws a leather identification wallet from her breast, which flips open, revealing two ID cards and a golden badge. FBI, she says. The dog tries getting up again, and she blasts it again. Leon asks her, what the hell is going on? And she says it's classified, walking away from me. Leon presses her, and the woman holds her ground. She says, the smartest thing I can do right now is flee the city. She excuses herself through one of the side doors as Leon hollers, I'm not done talking to you! So I don't know what that was about. I don't follow her, although I know the next narrative beat for this story probably implies that I do. I try the nearest door. Locked. And I try the next to nearest door. Dark hallway with a blue herb. The next door opens up to... The kennels. Terrifying. I should turn around, but I don't. Literally every single kennel is busted open. Jesus! A Doberman still locked inside one of the kennels barks at me as I pass by, and I literally jump from this. Actually, it's three dogs in here, and their roaring fills the concrete-sided room. If I'm going to keep my cool in this game, I'm going to need to be more observant. Through the kennel is another hallway and another door. A utility door requires a crank handle I don't have. I turn around. Another door. Oh, God. What is... Is, is this the fucking morgue? I can see racks of closed casket-shaped metal drawers built into the wall. One drawer has no cover and is empty. Morbid curiosity alone has me pulling the drawer open, revealing a twitching corpse that does not immediately throw itself at me. I push it back in. I open the other drawers. Some have corpses, others a pile of bloody chunks. Some are empty or the drawer jams and can't open completely. There are items in some of them, most important of which is a pink diamond key. Awesome. There is an autopsy report nearby describing a kleptomaniac, and I think weird to believe the klepto stole this key. I'd love to go back to the police station and use this key, but an invisible wall, as you recall, has stopped me in that octagonal room. Maybe I can get back to the lobby after I get out of the parking garage. I find it ironic to escape the police station just to desire to return to it because of some ornamental key. After I acquire the key, the corpse growls and comes to life, throwing itself at me from the table. I blast it with a handgun until it goes motionless. Another growl behind me. Where do you come from? He's in between me and the door and moving fast. The handgun doesn't slow him in time and he grapples me. I shove a flashbang grenade in his mouth and explode the flashbang with a bullet. Blood paints a rack of cadaver shelving as it collapses, headless. I race out of the room and into a dark room purpose-built as a firing range. I hear a corpse snarling somewhere in the room, but I have no visual on him. I open a yellow toolbox and a broken key that looks like it belongs to a car is mine. Emblazoned on the face is RPD, car number 7439. But I need ammo. Is there ammo in this firing range? Next, two doors. One goes into the firing range's no-go zone, and the other has a pink diamond lock. I open the pink diamond lock with the pink diamond key. And I'll come back to the other area when I have more ammo to spend on the corpse locked shut in there. It's the firing range's locker room, red herb, and a roll of film labeled 3F Locker. Ooh... Oh man, I can see there are shotgun shells in the no-go zone room. I attempt to fade and open the door. There are two corpses ready for me on the other side. I shut the door in their faces and flee. By the time I flee the firing range, they've already broken down the door. I return to the garage and go through the door I saw the FBI agent go through. Police station basement map. Wonderful. This sub area though, it's called the jail. I gamble on simply stepping over a fallen cop and he doesn't do anything, not even tear my leg off. After him is a horrifically dark hallway lined by three cells on each side. I am terrified to look at whatever's in these cells and I feel like Hannibal Lecter could be waiting for me at the far end. I race past them all, not even looking at any of them. I'll check it out later. Later. Let's just get to the other side first. At the far end are some more cells, one of which has a living, speaking, breathing, non-dead human in it. Middle-aged, short brown hair, salt and pepper stubble, brown jacket over a blue button-down shirt, glasses, and a ponytail. He's partway through a cigarette and thrilled to see another human. He wants to know if Police Chief Irons sent me down here. Irons is, quote, the bastard who put me here you see. The prisoner, he's a whistleblower for something the chief didn't want to get out. But before he can elaborate, we hear suspicious, squeaky jail door sounds and we both go alert. The man gets desperate and bargains his access card, which he claims I need to escape the parking garage in exchange for freeing him. But Leo thinks we're going to live long enough to run it up the chain of command first, LOL. When Johnny Ponytail steps backwards against the brick wall at the far end of the cell, the wall explodes as a giant black fist grabs the prisoner by the face, lifts him off his feet, and crushes his skull, killing him. The man screams and falls down dead, sitting up against the wall with a broken face that makes him look like Sloth from The Goonies. The FBI lady walks in, all cool-like. She says he was an informant to her investigation. She's short and dismissive with Leon again, and although Leon tries to get more information from her, she walks off into the shadows, leaving Leon with the notion that she will explain more to him when Leon escapes the garage. But she does give her name, Ada, before she disappears. Can I just say, I am appalled we do not discuss the black hand that smashed the brick jail cell wall? Anyways, let's try to get that keycard, huh? A memo nearby says the power panel needs replacement parts, one of which can be found in the generator room, and the other is on a maintenance man who went to fix the bell in the clock tower. There's a hand crank here too. Great! I suppose using that hand crank probably grants access to one of those two destinations. The nearest is the generator room, so I head there first. I use the crank to open a security door blocking the way. Inside the generator room, the generator takes up three quarters of the room's cubic footage. A power box nearby has some switches on, some off. I turn them all on and nothing happens except the needles on two horizontal meters go all the way to the right. Both meters have a sweet spot in different areas. I flip the switches until both needles come to rest in the sweet spots. The lights turn on, machinery starts turning on, on alarm buzzes, but the sound I'm clued into the most are boot stomps. I realize this power box has me cornered and I snap to my shotgun. A doberman behind chicken wire fence lets out an ear-splitting bark which distracts me as two more dobermans charge me. One takes a chomp out of me, the other attempts to as well, but I Shove something into its mouth, a flash grenade, I don't even know, and flee. On my way out, I barely notice something pickupable on the table. It's the part I needed. Now, run, shoot, I have to go through the kennel to escape. Of course I do. Two more dogs chomp me in this room and it brings me to the danger zone. So I use my first aid spray. I do not have enough bullets or shells to stop them, so I run, run, run. I go back to the parking garage and run into two more dogs. One takes a bite out of me and I fire on it with my handgun, but I miss or make glancing blows. I check the map, and I can see there is a door I haven't been in before that is between the firing range and the generator room. We have to pass through at least one Doberman to get there, but I literally have no other choice. I race to this new room, accessible on account of the generator being on, and encounter no dogs on my way. Thank God. Staircase. Shotgun shells. break room. Typewriter. Red herb. Handgun bullets and gunpowder. Storage bin. I make shells and mix herbs. In the bathroom is mag ammo the amped up version of handgun ammo and one of those mr raccoons making an unsettling chittering sound on the ground do i shoot it sure there's an electrical part in this room too but in this moment i can't imagine where it might go to hallway with three windows i board up the first and the second i'm thankful about the second one because a corpse throws itself against that window the moment i put the final nail in i turn a corner and surprise two corpses idling in a shadow I kill them both with my handgun, and I'm thankful for the boards I put up because I'd have been in a deadly pincer otherwise. A combat knife stabbed into the wallpaper is now my combat knife, and I add the electrical part to a fuse box. The security door next to it opens, and half a cop crawls towards me. After the third bullet from Matilda, its skull explodes. In here is... It's an office that opens into... Hey! I'm back to the main floor of the police station. Okay, okay. Let me think. What was all of the stuff that I'd been meaning to do if I could come back here? I make a short list: Process that film that will probably give me a code to a locked locker. Open any doors that need the pink diamond key. Pick up the wheel handle from the showers. Um, find out how to jack up that bookshelf in the library. Find a purpose for that scepter with the cursed red jewel and... Was there anything else? I can't think of anything else. I check on Marvin. I see him slumped back on the bench I left him at. He growls at me, precisely as the last 50 corpses have. Leon says, Marvin, oh no, before I put four bullets in his head. A fate he himself alluded to earlier. Marvin has nothing to loot. On my way back to the darkroom, I throw open a door and a liquor is right fucking there. It liquor shrieks and fast crawls at me. I shut the door, let a moment pass, and then reopen it. It's idling in front of the door, daring me to step in front of it. I'm waiting for it to get lost, but it has patience. Another moment passes. Seriously, it is not moving. I really, really do have to walk around it. It darts an eyeless look directly at me. I back up and shut the door again. When I open it again, the liquor is nowhere to be found. I seem to have won the patience game. I reach the dark room and, oh, hey, now that the generator's back on, some of these rooms have workable light switches that make the whole place feel a little less scary. It is a false comfort, but it does reduce my stress. I process the film, and the picture shows that the code on the third floor locker is DCM. I reach the shower room, but I cannot remove the wheel from the pipe. So much for that. I run through a hallway that alerts the liquor, but I escape its wrath by plunging my combat knife into it and diving into a side room. A moment passes. I open the door again, and he's on the ceiling above me. I walk under it with nerves of steel. Nearby, I open the linen room with the pink diamond key. A portable safe and more gunpowder is mine. That's all there is here. I unlock the DCM locker and earn more mag ammo. The second floor east side, I hand crank my way through a metal security door to the chief's office, through which, according to the map, I can access the private collection room. Raccoon figurine. I shoot it, and I don't know why. Wait, wait, wait. Police chief's office requires a heart key. I don't have a heart key. I have a diamond key. Never mind. Staircase, which can go up or down. I go down. Two corpses look at me from half-broken windows, but I don't shoot at it because I suspect this is liquor bait. Interrogation room. Needs a heart key. Observation room. Needs a shamrock key. Dead ends everywhere. Glass shatters behind me, and I suspect that I'll have to shoot my way out of here. Let's go. A few shots fells the one undead cop in my way. I walk over his body and take the staircase to the third floor. I find window boards, flash grenade, and handgun ammo. A storeroom has two corpses and a large gear for me. The large gear occupies two inventory spaces, so I'm gonna to have to get rid of something. Looks like I can pitch the hand crank and the pink diamond key, so I do. An exterior deck provides access to the second floor roof via a flimsy metal ladder that disintegrates as I climb down it. Leon and pieces of the ladder crash onto the concrete, certainly attracting nearby attention, and making getting back to the other level impossible. But this is the roof the helicopter crashed onto. Orange flames are still licking its sides. Handgun ammo sits on a red bench nearby and I effortlessly swap from shotgun to handgun, load the ammo as a means to clear inventory space, and swap back to the shotgun. A water valve nearby makes a squeaky sound when I pull it, and it adds a gallon or two of water onto the waterlogged rainy roof, but has no real effect. There's some terrible banging coming from the boiler room. When I'm ten feet away... The door blows open and two corpses stagger out. I fell them both, turn some yellow lever, then go in. In a small office, I find a typewriter storage bin and the green shamrock key. Bitchin! Back at the helicopter crash, I flip the lever from the water pump again, and water douses the burning chopper. That yellow lever outside the boiler room must have redirected the water. Now that I mention it, I can see both levers are routing the same style of pipe. Is there anything in this wreckage I can pick up? No, doesn't look like it. I go in the nearby door that has the hallway that's blocked by the doused crash, but to my surprise, the chopper is rocking violently. A man, dressed in an ashen black trench coat and wide-brimmed hat, has lifted the vehicle out of the hallway with a single hand and tossed it aside. Now it's standing there, glowering at me. Was this the guy who skull-crushed the prisoner? I bet he was. He doesn't look especially undead to me, which I find curious. His skin looks deathly black, as if he's Raccoon City's hulking avatar of death. He advances towards me. Oh, fuck. I race outside onto the rain-drenched roof, turn, dig my heels in, and pump him with shotgun shells. I shoot the hat off his head, and according to the achievement prompt that appears, this guy is called the Tyrant. He's faster than he looks and punches me in the gut. When I have control again, I pump my last shells into him, and he falls to a knee. I'm literally out of ammo, so I spring past him as a means to get through that hallway I found him in. Maybe I can lose him in the police station. Leon confirms this with a, better get moving... I cross the lobby and enter the records room, accessible via the shamrock key. In here is a lever that almost certainly goes to the jack in the library. But the tyrant has found me. Pounding, industrial music plays when he's near. I'm gonna have to go the long way around and under greater pressure than before. I'd run, but I know there are liquors about too. As I'm passing through rooms, the corpse of a woman grapples me, but I shove a flashbang in its mouth. I don't even turn around to see it go off. And a few seconds later, when light fills the room, I can hear the corpse scream. I take a wrong turn and plow into two liquors. One slashes at me. I look at my map and reroutes to the lobby by other means. And it works. I eat mixed herbs, create a new mixed herb, and set out. The library is not far. I get the lever in the jack, which renders an immobile bookshelf to be slidable along its tracks again, but the tyrant has caught up to me. He punches me in the face so hard I'm surprised Leon isn't spitting teeth, and I flee to the lobby, and he follows me. The lobby is no longer a safe space, and I literally have no more ammo on me save for eight rounds of homeless mag. I kite to the tyrant around the library to the extent that I can move the bookcases to grant me access to the third-story walkways lining the lobby. I dive into the first door I see as a corpse screams in my ear but does not get its hands on me. I scan the room, knowing precious seconds are dwindling before tyrant doom. Document. I guess the bell in the bell tower is threatening to break and perhaps fall. That's pretty interesting. A wall of rusty gears is missing a piece. Thankfully, I still had the gear I found on me. Let's put it in place. It slips into the gear works like a glove, and the whole thing begins turning. A metal staircase appears and grants access to the level above. I'm able to take the large gear back, and so I do. I find a large gunpowder bottle, which allegedly creates double ammo when mixed. I find another gearbox, but the large gear doesn't fit. Up the staircase, I am faced with the interior side of the clock tower's large clock face. Its facade occupies the entire side of this room. There's another gearbox here, too. I take a small gear from it and insert the large gear. Something is turning and I cannot take the large gear back. I put the small gear in the other gearbox on the floor below. Where is this tyrant? Why is it giving me all this time to do this? The turning of this small gear activates a series of gears and turning shafts which terminate at the clock face. The clock strikes 3am and the bell rings out into the raining city bad idea, I think. The ringing bell knocks loose a cardboard box branded with the word Aegis sitting beside it and falls to the floor next to Leon. I pick it up. It is the boxed electronic part. With this, I've got everything I need to power the jail power panel. I should go do that, but there's one more shamrock room I want to investigate first. The observation room. But I don't know that I can, given I'm totally out of ammo. I mean, I have plenty of gunpowder, but not the kind I need for shotgun shells. And handgun bullets are a freaking joke. So maybe the observation room will have to wait. Perhaps when I power on the jail, some story beat will take place and I won't have to deal with the tyrant anymore. Or maybe Ada has some trick up her sleeve. You know what? Maybe the tyrant thing works for Ada. I don't know and I'm ready to believe anything at this point. And it looks like I can access the basement stairwell I originally came up from by continuing along the walkways I just accessed from the library. I just hope the tyrant isn't waiting for me outside this door here. He probably is, isn't he? But he's not there. I kite a corpse to reach that door across the way, and it's FUCKING locked. And now, the tyrant music is playing again. I'm cornered, but I don't see the tyrant, and shortly after the 9-inch nails jam fades away. I race past two corpses, the second of which should have taken a bite out of me, but inexplicably misses. And I'm able to get back to the library, and then the lobby, scot-free. I save my game. I make it back to the parking garage. I know undead Dobermans are going to chase me as I cross to get to the jail area, but I have no choice. I hold my breath behind a concrete pillar and watch how two dogs patrol. I don't see the third one, though. When they're far enough away, I walk out into the open. I advance several steps through the garage until one Doberman discovers me when they do, the garage erupts with the sound of ferocious barking. One dives at me, but misses. Miraculously, I cross the garage without taking any damage, and I reach the jail power box. By the way, if all of these jail cell doors swing open when the power comes on, I'm going to be pissed. I spend a minute on a spontaneous route-the-power puzzle through a matrix of rotatable segments of wire, and the power box blinks to life. The door to the cell with the ponytail prisoner swings open. I seize his ID, but notice a handheld tape recorder in his jacket. You know what? Between this and the smoking, the CEO who interred this guy fucked up big time. I play the tape recorder. He's musing to himself about an orphanage and how it's no coincidence that Umbrella Corps was one of its benefactors. Then I hear another voice. It's a woman's voice, possibly someone who represents the orphanage, maybe. She's confused about the purpose of this interview, saying, You said this was about a new Umbrella scholarship. He presses her for information about the G-Virus, and she cuts him off mid-sentence. How do you know about that? He presses her again, this time about a sinkhole in the middle of the city. First I've heard about it, and a rumor that it goes straight to your underground laboratory. She says this interview is over. A moment passes, and Johnny Ponytail mutters, Bitch. Johnny Ponytail has scrawled his last testament onto a square note card. Must have been written just a few hours before I ran into him. He writes that he can hear zombies taking over the station, but it's not the undead he's afraid of. Codename, Tyrant. An ultimate bioweapon developed in secrecy. By now I'm thinking, yeah, this is, uh, this belongs to Umbrella and not to Ada. Final comment on the card. Chances are they've ordered it to wipe out all witnesses. And guess what? Leon's witnessed a lot. Anyways, I have to go through the gauntlet of jail cells again, and I can tell they've all opened because there are four fucking corpses in my way. I have zero bullets on me, you guys. Zero. I'm just gonna plow through these guys and hope for the best. wait a red emergency lever to the left. I pull it, and a metal door slides open. Fucking fantastic. I run that way instead, and the tyrant is here! I can hear him huff and grunt with each footfall. I have to take this guy head on. I have literally no choice. I run right at him. He plants his foot in the ground and punches me in the face so hard I'm on the ground, flat on my back a quarter second later. Danger zone. I chow down on some herbs and blow past him. At the far end, all four zombies have cut me off in front of the door to the parking garage. Two tackle me at once and I crash to the ground again, each taking a mighty bite out of me. I don't even know how I shrug them off and get back to my feet. A third grapples me and rips out a piece of my neck and I'm back in the danger zone for the second time in not even 30 seconds. I rip a first aid spray, dodge the fourth corpse, and throw my shoulder into the parking garage door. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to sustain this onslaught without any ammunition. Not three paces beyond the door, I can already hear dogs barking. The concrete wall next to me explodes and the tyrant emerges from it. He grabs me by the neck with a fist as mighty as a wrecking ball and lifts me off my feet. Then blinding high beams give the tyrant pause. A SWAT van in a corner of the garage roars to life. In two cinematic flashes I can see a slim black glove jerk the shifter and a high heel shoe jam the accelerator to the floor. The van races across the garage in a second and smashes the tyrant through another chunk of concrete wall. The tyrant releases his grip on Leon, and Ada, the FBI agent, emerges from the van and is already walking away from me as she chastises me for having to save my life a second time. Giant black fingers wrap around the van's hood. Ada lifts a device and presses a button, and the van explodes. So what's the subtext of this moment? I guess that's Dunhamin? Ada is very nonchalant about her heroic actions, but I'm not very convinced. She asks if I have the keycard. Yes, I have this recording too. Here to explain? Asks Leon. She says maybe, depending on what's on the tape, and walks away. Again. What is it with Ada and walking away from me? I use Johnny Ponytail's ID to open the garage shutter, and we leave the police station. Ada's listening to the recording as we emerge into the dark, rainy street. Not a soul in sight. Cars are abandoned and crashed everywhere. Ada claims there isn't enough info to go on this tape. She's looking for evidence pointing to who's responsible for this mess, and emasculates me by suggesting I'm just trying to play hero. The road terminates at a construction site, and Ada says we'll have to go through this gun shop. Brilliant! I could use a restock. Uh, We go in, and what do we have here? A grenade? Sure, we can steal that. A long barrel? Well, what's that about? It attaches to my shotgun, doubling the magazine from 4 to 8, and concentrating the spread. I love this. And what's this? A note written by someone named Jill Valentine? Isn't she a character from another Resident Evil game? The note is stupidly cryptic, and suggests the gun shop owner, quote, has its reasons for staying put, but if things, quote, Get worse and your, quote, other arrangements don't work out, you'll know, quote, where to find me, and she will do, quote, everything she can. I hope this means something to someone because it doesn't mean very much to me. But handgun ammo! Just five rounds, I guess I should be thankful for that. That should stop a chittering raccoon toy or two. I turn a corner and there's a shotgun in my face. The man holding it is very tense and defensive. Behind him is his daughter, maybe seven or eight years old. She's half shuffling like all the other corpses I've seen, and one of her eyes has gone cloudy white. My gut reaction is he doesn't know she's going to bite him while he has his attention on me, but he's in fact protecting his semi-turned daughter from Ada and I. And if this poor guy doesn't come to terms with the truth, I think my gut reaction will be correct sooner or later. Ada levels her handgun on him and says, she'll have to be put down before she turns. The man recognizes us as law enforcement and chastises us for allowing all of this awfulness to happen. The kid, named Emma, calls out for mommy, whom daddy says is sleeping but we probably know what that means. He hoists her up with one arm and carries her out of the room. He says, please leave us in peace and slams the door. Leon turns to Ada and says he wants to help people like him and that this was his reason for joining the Raccoon City police force. Ada shares her true mission with Leon, which is to take down Umbrella Corps, which she admits is a tall, tall order. Probably a suicide mission, But Leon says, count me in. As we exit the gun store through the back, Ada says, Umbrella Corps is a biological weapons manufacturer that fronts as a pharmaceutical company and that this zombie apocalypse we're experiencing is a virus that mutates humans into indestructible monsters. Ada's looking for Annette Birkin, who Ada claims is responsible for unleashing this terror onto the city. We walk into a sewer, which Ada suspects can lead us to the secret Umbrella Core factory. A couple turns later, we feel the sewer tremble. Leon wonders out loud if it's an earthquake, and Ada says, I hope so. Not long later, we turn a corner to see light pouring into a wrecked or abandoned subway tunnel where some enormous, scaly thing slides through a beam of light. Some kind of huge creature is down here with us. It roars like a dinosaur. I'm creeped out, but there's a typewriter and storage bin nearby. And that's as welcome as it is foreboding. Wait, hold on here. What about that other shamrock door? The observation room? I forgot all about it. Should I turn back? I... I think so. is going to hate this, but I turn back. But I can't! It's the octagonal wooden room all over again. Fine, fine. That's so stupid. I really, really dislike that. I turn back and walk along the subway tracks. More calamitous shaking. Ada says it's not too late to turn back, but I have already established it fucking is. Leon inexplicably leaps into waste-deep sewage where trash of all varieties floats along the surface or gathers up in piles that rise up out of the muck. It's like the Death Star trash compactor in here. Leon wonders out loud if this is the only way forward, and Ada assures that it is. The subterranea fills with a bone-chilling roar. We both go quiet, and then a huge monster erupts out of the sludge. RUN! It's a slimy, mutant, gargantuan crocodile, complete with a long snout rimmed with huge, sharp teeth. I race in the other direction. The camera is facing Leon's front instead of his back as a means to show the distance and horrific menace of the creature chasing me, but the creature is faster. It snatches Leon in its mouth and crunches. The screen goes black, and in this moment I wonder if we're going to have a belly in the whale sequence for a hot second, but then the game over screen appears. YOU ARE DEAD! Oh my god, where are we? Game Shark? what's going on? We're sneaking into an encampment of the Mad Cat's mercenary army because one of them stole the codebook from the Game Genie Shrine? I guess that makes sense. One good gaming peripheral deserves another. What? No, I didn't mean anything by that. They're dangerous and I should keep my voice down. So are these guys like barbarian feline folk? Be quiet or I'll alert the guards for our location. Dude, how am I supposed to keep track of where I show up every time I get a game over? It's not like I get to decide where I appear or who I get to meet or if they're friend or enemy or what. Oh my god, he kicked me out. <laughs> okay, where was I? Right, the crocodile. What was I supposed to do? Leaping into the sludge sealed my fate. It wasn't like I could do anything before the monster appeared. And the brief chase sequence was its own cutscene. There wasn't even a quick time event. What else could I have done? Not go down there? Was there some other path I could have taken? I'll have to find out. I'm back at that ledge and... What else can I do? I walk behind Ada and push her towards the ledge like as if I can get her to die instead, but nothing happens. I fire a shot into the sludge as a means to alert the monster. Nothing. I go back down again. The monster emerges again, but when it's chasing me, I realize I can control Leon as he's running. I get where my confusion came from. It wasn't a cutscene. He's auto-running away from the monster, but steerable. Auto-running is not something we've seen in this game yet, and the game does not prompt me with this shift of base gameplay when it happens, so I'm not feeling like this game over is very fair. I do get it. I, I do get the developer's intention to deliver a desperate and spontaneous chase, so I'm going to try to get over it. The monster lunges to Leon's left, so I swing right. He misses, and I'm able to put some distance on the monster as it recovers from its lunge. A second later, it gathers speed again towards Leon's right, so I bank left. It snaps once, then again, and gets even closer. The monster needs almost no time to recover from the second attempt to make dinner out of me, so I bank to the right just in time for the jaws to come crashing down at Leon's side. A hot second later, Leon leaps over a metal pipe which the monster lodges its jaws into. Yeah, it has its teeth stuck on this steel pipe. I can see some kind of yellow and red danger symbol emblazoned on the pipe, and gas is violently escaping the pipe due to the monster crashing into it. By sheer muscle memory alone, I snap pull the pin on the grenade I picked up in the weapons shop and hurl it at the beast. A second later, the grenade explodes, setting off a chain reaction with the ruptured gas line that fills the sludgy sewer with white light and a roar of sound. The explosion bursts the creature's head, and bloody mutant viscera rains down all over me. The chase is over, and the tremendous heft of this creature is reduced to a mangled bloody stump that twitches as the remnants of its nervous system dies. Leon lays down a spectacular quote in this moment that I am not going to forget for a long, long time. Chew on that, you overgrown son of a bitch. Now, Ada has caught up to me and releases a ladder that gets me out of the waste. She's impressed that I survived all of that. And we take an elevator deeper underground. As we descend, Ada clarifies that Umbrella doesn't sell monsters. It sells the viruses that make the monsters. And that is terrifying as that super gator was. This Annette is far more dangerous than that. I can't wait to meet her. And then we meet her. One room past a typewriter, we observe a blonde-haired, middle-aged woman in a white lab coat leaning over a fallen corpse. Ada snap-draws her handgun and identifies her as Annette. We're here for the G-Virus. You'll never get it, she says. She sets the corpse alight as a distraction and springs away. Ada chases it, but Annette begins shooting at her. Leon dives at Ada, both landing into safety. Leon is shot and, as usual in these kinds of situations, implores Ada to go on ahead. Ada must have lost her bitch boss lady shades when Leon threw himself at her because now we can see her face in full. I was pretty sure she had some Asian in her, but in this moment I'm certain her heritage is very Chinese. She has gray-green eyes, too. The screen goes black. And when we're back, Ada has shed her trench coat and gloves for a tight-fitting red dress that ends halfway up her knees and a black fabric choker. She's standing next to Leon, speaking into her walkie-talkie. She says if the G-virus is not on her, meaning Annette, it is in the NEST. NEST is in all caps, by the way. Once she has it, she'll call for an extraction. Whoa! Now we have taken control of Ada, which is surprising to me. So what's in her inventory? Nothing but a handgun. A Broom HC. A limited edition 9-shot capacity 9mm double-action semi-auto handgun. Now that I can control her, I feel like it's a shame I can't loot Leon. What if I need his red scepter with a cursed jewel? Oh, looky here. EMF visualizer. Use it on walls to track wiring and hack electrical equipment. This agent has rad gadgets from Q-Branch. I use it on a wall and see a hologram of blue cord running behind a large ventilation fan. Pulling the trigger on the EMF visualizer on the power box, activates the fan, and causes it to turn faster, faster, and faster. A moment later, the fan disintegrates, and I've granted myself access to the ventilation shaft. Candy from a baby, Ada says with grim satisfaction. I repeat this process at the other end of the shaft, descend a ladder, and blast a walking corpse. A document on a desk complains about needing a wristband update because the writer's access to certain areas of the main facility has been limited. I hack the next door open as the corpse behind me rouses to its knees, but I close the door on it before it can reach me. The sewers open up into a large storage room, and I must rapidly switch between the EMF device and the handgun to chase an electrical line towards a power box that controls a lift as corpses stalk me through the room. I hack the panel and ascend the lift. Up here is a glass wall from which I can see Annette turning a corner, not noticing me, nor the several rounds of gunfire I've been squeezing off in the room adjacent to her. Always been good at running, I'll give you that, Ada mutters to herself. What does that mean? Has Annette been very good at concealing her actions against the FBI? Is there something about Annette's personal history that Ada is unusually privy to? Or has she logged an impressive time at the annual Raccoon City 5K fun run in Chili Feed? Next room, I hear clanging and stomping. I smell a whiff of Trent Reznor, and through the glass panel, I can see the tyrant walking with deadly purpose in the opposite direction of me. Is he on to me? I feel like time is short. The drilling, pounding industrial music grows louder, and I can feel his presence in the room. Guess what? He's here, and I have to hack two separate panels in different areas of the room to open the door, just to begin to flee him. Ada takes... Three colossal punches to the face as I execute this clumsy plan. I am in the danger zone, and I have no health items on me. Why couldn't I loot Leon again? The next room is a claustrophobic office, and I have to do the power box overload vent fan thing a third time, but again, with the ashen-faced man stalking me. The Tyrant is virtually on top of me by the time I activate the power box, but there's not enough time to overload the fan. I whirl around to see I am almost in face cratering range, and at the last possible moment, I throw a flashbang at his feet. The room fills with a loud crack and white light, which stuns the tyrant by me just enough time to overload the vent fan, which disintegrates and grants access to its shaft. I dive in and fall several feet to a new room on the lower floor. Inexplicably, the tyrant does not follow me. In the next room, I browse a document that explains the new wristband grants access to the demolition area and that something happened over at the incinerator the other day, but it was probably just some leftover piece of trash. No idea what they're talking about, but it sounds like somebody fucked up, or got fucked up. I pull a lever on a console, and a heavy, heavy freight door opens up across the way. Nearby, a door hollers at me with an electronic voice that an ID wristband is required for entry. I enter that freight door and it's... What is this? The incinerator? There's an unmoving corpse here, probably that lump of trash described in the memo, and I steal its wristband. The door shuts behind me as Annette walks by. Surprise! She's planning on burning me alive! She spits some vicious mean girl shit at me from behind a metal window slat, then the floor fills with tiny licks of flames, whose color fills the cold concrete walls and ceiling of the incinerator with waves of orange light. My EMF visualizer spots a matrix of wires that terminate at three power boxes above the incinerator door. A digital countdown appears to tell me I have 60 seconds to overload all three of them. I struggle to find the power source that initiates the flow of power that I must route. 20 seconds to go after I burst the first box. Less than 10 by the time I burst the second. I'm halfway through overloading the third box when time runs out. Ada's clothes catch fire. She screams and falls to her knees. You are dead. All right, Game Shark, what you got for me? Is that the book? Good. All right, let's punch in the code. This is going to release your master, right? Okay, I'm inputting the code, and voila! Oh, after several console
1: generations of slumber, I have ret- <coughs> <the> re- returned. <laughs> oh my God, are you
0: okay? I just, I have returned. Game Genie, you know, you're just as I imagined you'd be. Red genie body, just shredded. Absolutely shredded body. Absolutely shredded body. Right, so do I get any wishes for this?
1: I do not grant wishes. I am an all-powerful entity that bends the rules of game worlds with hexadecimal code. But as a thank you for releasing me, I... Yes, I do owe you a favor. Oh, hey, Game Shark. You know each other? Yeah, we go way back.
0: Mm, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so let me fill you in. I'm from the real world, and every time I get a Game Over, I get sucked into this world. This Sprite Game Over kid would humiliate me and bring me back, but she's disappeared this time, and that's really complicating things when I show up here. So I've been wondering what's happened to her, and also there are these trickster kids, cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. <sighs> mm. Oh, yeah, I hate those guys. They're the worst. They stole my elbows last time, and I'm trying to get those back, too. They stole your elbows? It's a long story, but yeah.
1: Surely you mean your elemental bow and arrows. Yeah, yeah. I can make you another one of those. What element was it?
0: Um, fire? Done! Oh. My god. Something wrong? No, no. This looks exactly like the elemental bow and arrows I used to have. Can you cheat me back to the real world again?
1: I can. And I'll look into the whereabouts of your game over, kid, as well.
0: Okay, I'm back. But my bow and arrows are gone. I'm betting they exist in the game over world only. Alright, so where was I? Now that I know how this spontaneous puzzle is supposed to be solved, I expect to complete it with time to spare next go around. And you know what? Round two, I burst the third box with 17 seconds to spare. Q Branch Gadgetry saves the day again. When I emerge from the incinerator, Annette is nowhere to be seen. And practically speaking here, why isn't the tyrant sort of waiting for me to pound me into delicious human jelly? Maybe Annette was overconfident in her trap. I pass through the wristband checkpoint and the electronic voice tells me the band is valid until October 1st. Alexa, why would you announce that out loud? Spot The blind me as they cross an industrial catwalk one or two floors above a facility floor below. Annette speaks to me through a PA system, and I can see her looking down on me as she operates a console in a control room. Ada accuses Annette of killing her husband, so she can take credit for the G-Virus. Annette thinks this is an interesting theory, then throws a switch. An overhead crane, like the ones you see loading and unloading freighters at port, swings a deadly pendulum of metal towards Ada as a means to crush her. Ada leaps from the catwalk, hangs precariously for a moment then drops to the floor below. Down here, a piece of metal has pierced her leg, and Ada cries out, Where's Leon when I need him? Which is quite the about face, considering how disdainful she's treated our rookie cop. The echo of something alive or dead bounces off the walls of the cavernous facility, and Ada collapses. Fade to black. We're back to Leon. He rouses awake and checks his walkie-talkie, calling for Ada. Nothing. A typewriter and a storage bin is one electrical lift away, so I save my game. The way forward is wading through more waste, deep awfulness. Up a dry bank is a probably totally dead body of a special ops soldier, and I loot a USS digital video cassette from it. It's got a label handwritten on it that says Operation Nest Wrecker, followed by a 2 in parentheses. Nearby is a locked door labeled Treatment Facility. I pull a rook chess piece shaped plug out of a power box and a metal bridge nearby elevates to the upper level. If I put it back in, it returns to the level I'm on. It seems impossible to input the piece and get on the bridge as it escalates, and there is a door across the way, so I keep it in the console for now. Farther ahead, Leon inexplicably leaps off a metal balcony, slides down a concrete slope covered in shit, and splashes down back into the waist-deep sewer water. He cries out, Oh shit! when he gets on his feet again. I can hear labored breathing down here, and across the way, my flashlight spots some human-like figure in the waist-deep muck with its back turned to me. Might be smart to take this guy out before I slip into some side door and he follows me in. I take one step closer, and it dives effortlessly into the water and disappears. Oh... This is going to be fun. Farther up, there it is again, blocking my path. Some lumbering, fleshy, swollen, tumor-headed humanoid begins trudging towards me. It has no reaction to a couple handgun shots, so I wheel backwards. Now my back's pressed up against the concrete wall I slid down. I have to open fire. Several handgun shots later, the tumor on its head bursts, revealing a big orange eye embedded in its upper torso. I loose all of my handgun ammo onto it, and then all of my shotgun ammo onto it. I should have run when it dropped, but I didn't. I reach for my grenade, but I've already used it. Now it has grappled me. Its ugly, bulky arm splits open into four pseudopods of gnashing teeth. The first time it happens, Leon plunges a combat knife into it for a free escape, but the second time it vomits bile on me, and I am now poisoned. I'm able to put some distance on it now, and as I run, I mix green and blue herbs together to make an antidote to dry rub. I open a door, and walk into the control room. A memo on a desk tells the story of someone trapped in NEST, all caps and that they are all contaminated with the virus. The failsafe system didn't activate, and all of this might be Director Owens's fault. Another locker has a dial lock, and elsewhere I find two shotgun shells. I leap down a shaft to the floor below and, you know what, this room kind of looks like the control room Annette used to strike Ada with the crane. And there she is. Ada, I mean, I can hear something growling on the other side of a door, which Ada is near. This must mean time is short on saving Ada. I examine this room and find a pamphlet from a company called Knight's Construction. Written by the CEO, the pamphlet says its two core principles are playfulness and superior industrial design. It also makes analogies to chess pieces like more refined than a queen, more polished than a knight, and as pleasant as a pawn. Our work is sure to bring victory to everyone involved. The CEO signs off by citing several accomplished chess accolades like World Chess Alliance Honorary Member and Raccoon Chess Lovers Guild Honorary Director, and then shares its name, R. B. Fisher. Fisher. That sounds a lot like actual, real-world chess titan Bobby Fischer, who won the Chess World Championship in 1972, declined to defend his title in 75, citing disagreements with Chess International's governing body, and then disappeared into obscurity until the mid-90s. Yes, I did watch that movie. Adjacent to this pamphlet is a VHS cassette player and a cathode ray tube TV. I decide that saving Ada's life can wait until I finish watching a home movie. When the footage plays, we can see it is from the perspective of a body cam. There's a runtime display in the lower left, and the upper left bears the date 92398. and the lower right shows what I presume is the body cam owner's name, A. Kirkpatrick. He's lying on the floor groaning in front of an open metal briefcase purpose-built to contain something precious. Gunfire rings out, and a masked, armed person picks up the briefcase and lets the vials of something fall to the floor, breaking open. No, Mr. Kirkpatrick cries out. The camera darts to the side, and we can see that boss monster, Mr. G, being cornered by several men. Don't hurt him, Kirkyboy says. More shots ring out, and he goes limp. The camera footage hangs on this moment, and a couple rats scurry up to the broken vials and nibble at its contents. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Resident Evil crossover is real and canon. You heard it here, folks. The video turns off, and Leon hazards that the rats spread the virus from the lab to the city. I save and craft some ammo. Taped to a wall is a map of the sewers. I take it. I leave the room, flip a switch, and a bridge descends from above to my level after several seconds of squeaking, turning metal. I pick up a T-bar handle for god knows what. There's a tram down here, but it's not accessible without an ID wristband. Perhaps we have to return here with Ada. I turn back and ascend a staircase. A corpse leaps out at me and I throw myself backwards up the staircase just to keep me out of its arms. Reach. But I'm able to take it down without it touching me. Another corpse shows up, this one with a high visibility vest. I snap to my shotgun and blow its head to pieces from not even 10 feet away. I flip a switch and a sewer gate opens up. Back in the drink, I take one step past this gate and the swimming eyeball monster bursts out of the water in front of me, orange pussy eye darting all over. My first shotgun is a glancing blow, but the second aim is true and the eyeball explodes. The creature falls to its knees below the waterline. I can tell this is the same creature from earlier because I reclaimed my combat knife. A moment later, another sewer monster comes hurling through a side pipe, taking up the entire width of the sewer I am passing through. I did not craft enough bullets for this. I cannot even walk past it, so I kite it backwards. It grapples me. I jam a grenade in its mouth, hoping I can walk past it after it explodes. I walk in the wrong fucking direction and have to turn back into it and it grapples me a second time. I plunge my knife into it this time, hoping I can walk past it after the knife goes in. Nope! It grapples me a third time. Bad gamer, bad! It vomits on me, poisoning me. I down another herb combo and finally I can pass it by. I use the T-bar handle on a thingy, and now I can pass through to a new room. In here is a lift that takes me into a storeroom. There's bullets and a roll of film titled Hiding Place. Interesting. Who's taking pictures of hiding places? Strange. Oh, hip pouch! Hell yeah! 16 slots, baby! I open the door, and there's another high-vis vest corpse around the corner. Two shots blow its mind. Behind me, the door I just passed through is broken open by a corpse that I did not see, and it charges me with its arms out. As it gets its hands on me, I give it the 1-2 and the second shot makes its skull explode. Leon nearly falls ass over tea kettle as the lifeless body falls forward into his legs. I'm back at that bridge again, the console with the rook plug. I take out the rook and watch the bridge ascend again. Not sure where to go next. I find a large metal safe, and back by the tram I read a pamphlet that says its code is drawn on the safe itself in chalk. I go back to the safe. They weren't kidding. Left 2, right 12, left 8. You know what? I can believe that Umbrella Corps let loose this biological weapon on accident. Its basic sense of security is fucking ass. Inside is a shotgun stock. It allows the shotgun to reload smoothly. I attach it. Back in the monitor room with the latest typewriter, I craft handgun bullets and discover a whole side of the room I didn't notice earlier. There are three power boxes on a wall here, each shaped like one with the rook plug. Two have no plugs in them, but one has a chest night plug. It's the one in the middle that has the night plug, but on the inside of the box cover belonging to the box on the right has a yellowed paper sheet that says NIGHT on it. The other box covers' as yellow sheets are torn off. Based on all of this, I have gathered that the essential puzzle of this area of the sewers is to acquire chess piece plugs and fit them in here. Maybe. I put the night plug into the night box, but nothing happens. Perhaps it would if all the plugs were here. I take the knight plug and think about what would happen if I swapped out the rook plug in front of the elevating bridge with the knight plug. There are two notes on a bulletin board to the right, each bearing clues to the puzzle. One says you probably have to stick one plug into each of these terminals to access the U area and pretty sure the rook and knight are on the same wall and the bishop and queen aren't next to each other. The queen and rook were opposite each other too. I have only a general idea of what this means, but it gives me a little more direction than I had earlier. Thankful for that at least. When I turn around... I noticed there are th- another three power boxes, while wow, I am not very observant. This is making a lot more sense now. The left one has a bishop plug, and the box it's in has nothing on the interior of its cover. The left has nothing and nothing, and the right has a pawn plug and the illustration of a pawn on the interior of its cover. So let's synthesize what we know. I have three of the six plugs on me, knight, bishop, pawn. I know the location of a fourth plug. The rook in the power box next to the elevating bridge. Plugs five and six have not yet been discovered, and according to the sheets on the inside covers, I know which of these six boxes are intended for the knight and the pawn. So, let's get back to the rook plug. I'm there now. I take out the rook and the bridge goes up. I put in the knight and the bridge goes down. Take it out, goes up. Put in the pawn and the bridge goes down. Take it out, goes up. Same happens with the bishop, so I simply take the knight piece and let the bridge remain out of reach. Elsewhere in the muck, three corpses are waiting. And both synonyms of waiting work in this instance in front of a lock that I can turn with the T-bar handle that provides access to a staircase going down. I steal a single key off a bulletin board that has a tag on the keyring featuring the silhouette of a black chestnut against white and a white chestnut against black. Another T-bar lock creates a convenient shortcut, but the way forward is down a ladder back into another shit sewer. The map calls this place Bottom Waterway. It's big and broad, dark and murky, and instinct tells me there's definitely a number of sewer monsters down here. I have two shotgun shells. That's it. There are honest-to-god piles of shit 20 feet tall in this room. There are unmoving corpses littering the place as well. How much more unhealthy of an environment can Leon possibly get himself into? Deeper into the room, I can see the poopbergs might actually be organs to... What? Well, I'm sure I'll find out in a minute. The red emergency light hanging over a door to somewhere at the far end of the room, and the sum of all of these environmental factors makes me feel like I'm marching towards some serious encounter that I am way underprepared for. But let's try to keep our cool. I start running as fast as I can through the sewer water. A sewer monster explodes out of the water and vomits on me, poisoning me again. He's not body blocking my way, so I just race past him. I skillfully race around a second, and a third, this one with its eye exposed, dares me to spend precious shotgun shells on its weak spot. I hold back and let poisonous vomit drench me. I down two different blends of herbs and restore my condition and health to full. Under the red light is a door that grants me access to the supplies storage room. There's a raccoon figurine in this room, also daring me to shoot it. If I'm not going to spend my shells on a monster, I probably shouldn't spend it on these things, so I don't. Elsewhere in the room, there's the King chess piece power box, but the plug isn't in the box. There's a metal mesh door next to it, so I figure a plug will open this door. I have five plugs on me, and none of them make the king power box do anything. Nearby is the queen power box with the queen plug in it. I take it, and it shuts the metal door next to it. I take the queen plug and put it into the king's box, ignoring all subtext to whatever is going on between these two pieces. The door next to the king's power box activates, and the metal door next to it opens. Here is the king's power box, and it's probably controlling access to another mesh metal door, protecting what I can see as a weapon on a display case in the back. According to the map, this item is a... A chemical flamethrower X400? What? A flamethrower? Yes! Please, 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 please! King me, king me, king me! But I don't have the king piece! The queen is in that other box, so let's try the four pieces I do have on me. None of them work. But there is a staircase nearby that grants access to the floor above. A corpse flopped over a railing, stirs and falls down near the flamethrower's door. In this room is another power box, and it has the king plug. I take it, and a metal door shuts, locking me into this small loft. I jump down, and the corpse that fell is in my face. I snap-fire my shotgun. My aim isn't ideal, and the shot blows away all the flesh around the corpse's neck, revealing only neck bones balancing on a completely intact head. It's a strange sight to behold, but it's enough damage to drop the corpse. I put the king plug in the king box, and the door slides open. The chemical flamethrower is mine. Looking at it, you can hold this thing like a rifle. It's got a black metal stock I can press against my shoulder, and attaches to a trigger that connects to two gas canisters, one larger than the other, that each come together at a black metal tip along two metal barrels. A prompt tells me, the longer I torch a target, the bigger the flames I'll create. The weapon occupies two inventory slots, and the tooltip says it is an umbrella-made weapon that uses pressurized gas to produce red, hot flames. It is portable and refuelable. Lastly, there's some color text here. It's always ready for the long haul. The ammunition shows a fraction. 400 fuel units out of 400. I am having trouble figuring out how to leave this room with all six plugs. Because there's only one way out of this room, and it looks like I need at least one plug in use to hold the door open that allows me to reach that one exit. I use the flamethrower and a couple metal drums pressed up against a shipping container, but nothing happens. More time passes than I'd like to admit, and I finally figure out the maze of the... of the supplies storage room. Glorious. Going the way back means I have to go through the ship sewer gauntlet of the three sewer monsters. But I have a weapon of mass destruction under my arm now, and I'm ready to melt some eyeballs. I hear the wheezing of the first one, and then I see it. It doesn't notice me as I round a pile of shit and trash which it's devouring from the other side. Should I surprise him or blow past him? I'm thinking I'll sneak past him. One step later, and its big, exposed eye is spotlighting me. I squeeze the trigger. I steady a stream of burning fuel over its back for five seconds straight, advancing towards it. I can see there is a second monster just behind it. The first thing writhes in pain as flickers of orange flame illuminate the slimy, vaulted sewer walls. It thrashes in place, then collapses and I can see its backside of pustules bobbing above the water level. I round the first creature and lay the flamethrower on the second creature. The creature's tentacle mouth arm sticks out at a perpendicular angle, which I find strange. I pause to watch and see if the flame volley was enough to bring it down, and in that moment, something small leaps out of the water and strikes me. Maybe it spewed some kind of creature from its arm. The large creature isn't going down, perhaps because it has its eyeball covered and the first creature didn't. I lay on the fire again and by the time it's enough to fell it, I'm at 70 fuel units out of 400. When I pick up a box of mag ammo, I can hear the third creature roar just behind the wall of sewer waterlogged viscera I'm standing against. It must have my scent. I exhaust my fuel supply to bring it down, but there's a fourth creature, the final obstacle in the gauntlet. I'm able to stand out of the water, and it doesn't seem like it wants to stand on land with me, so maybe I can kite him over to the side and race behind him. He disappears below the water level and all goes silent. Shit. He's playing the patience game. Well, I can be patient too. I wait a long moment, like 30 seconds, then hop into the water from the closest possible point to the exit. The creature reads me like a book, and I'm in its slimy arms the second after I hit the shit sludge. On my way back, I use the knight piece key, not the plug, the key, on one of the locked doors that grants access to the workers' break room. I slide a locker bay out of the way, revealing a secret elevator with a squeaky metal door. I enter, and the lift ascends. I wonder where I'm going. Where am I? I'm back in the underground facility next to the area where we fought Mr. G. Holy crap, do I have access to the police station again? Continued in part three.